Artificial intelligence is a big deal today. It's so confusing. There's so much jargon. If you work in the enterprise, how do you sift through the jargon? How do you sift through the hype? And how do you actually buy AI in a way that will make sense and is meaningful? Today on episode number 246 of CXO Talk, we're exploring this topic. I'm Michael Krigsman, an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Tiger Tiaga Rajan, who is the CEO of Genpact. Hey, Tiger, how are you? Thank you for taking the time to be here today. Great, Michael. Great to be here and thank you for inviting me into your show. Tiger, uh, tell us about Genpact, but first I just want to say thank you to Livestream, who is our streaming partner because those guys are great and if you're doing live streaming go to livestream.com and if you go to livestream.com slash cxo talk they will actually give you a discount on their plans so tiger tell us about genpact michael genpact is a global professional services company uh been around for about 20 years and we really deliver to global thousand corporations two things, um, intelligent operations, uh, which is one part of our business where we deliver operations with digital tools embedded in them, analytical capabilities and insights and predictive analytical capabilities embedded in them and run those operations for our clients, intelligent operations. Uh, for example, think about you know operation where insurance claims are processed and decisions are taken on what claims to be paid and how are they to be paid, et cetera. Uh, or, uh, you know, when does a part get delivered in order to repair an equipment out in the field that then the field engineer lands up there and actually repairs it, that flow of information, et cetera. So running intelligent operations. And the second part of our business is taking a number of our digital and analytical solutions to our clients and changing the way they run their business. We call that digitally led solutions and platforms. So that's what we do as a business. Okay, so you have been around for a long time and I know that a key focus of your business is working with clients who are undertaking various programs of digital transformation. And certainly AI, artificial intelligence is important with that. And so to begin this conversation on how to buy AI if you're in the enterprise, maybe share with us what do you see your clients doing with AI at this stage of uh, its development, the development of AI? So Michael, I think I loved your introduction to the topic right at the top of the top of the show, where uh, you said it is very topical, the topic of artificial intelligence for almost every one of our clients and within the clients, every one of the C-suite in our clients. And it's in the context of how do I bring AI into the company to become part of the way we run the company and become part of our digital transformation journey that you just described. However, uh, AI is just one of the many new digital technologies that are becoming more and more leverageable in the world we are in. That is changing the way work gets done, that is changing the way decisions get taken in industry after industry. So every client wants to talk about it. We 
talk about it, we bring it in. But the way to describe AI in that digital transformation journey is at the edge of that journey, is at the at the at the pinnacle of that journey, um, is at the edge where most value will potentially get created in the future in that journey. Um, and also to think about it not just as AI, but a set of tools and technologies, one of them being AI and probably the most valuable, but really most valuable when it's strung together. Tiger, so when you talk about uh, bringing AI into the digital transformation journey, can you elaborate on that? Or you, or you said bring AI and make it part of, part of digital transformation and part of the business. And this seems to be a, a very key point. It is, Michael. And, uh, and, I, and I said that uh, as the first overarching theme, uh, but there's then the second thing underneath that. When an enterprise thinks about leveraging AI, if they think about it on day one, as I want to leverage AI across my business in its entirety, I think people run into uh, one problem, which is it's just too much of an ocean to boil. Um, and it's too much of a problem to try and grapple with and solve. And AI, is not, that's not necessarily the most effective, efficient way of bringing AI to bear onto a problem. Where we have found the most success in most client situations is when a client says, I want to bring AI in, I want to start leveraging AI. My biggest problem that I want to attack and solve for, let's say, is managing receivables in my enterprise, is managing working capital. And within that, I actually struggle often with, uh, you know, the way we send our bills out, the way we actually then work with our clients to make sure they pay they pay on time, uh, and all the administrative aspects of doing all of that. And I wish I could solve that because I really want to drive customer satisfaction much higher than it is today. I want to uh, obviously bring my working capital down. I don't want to use labor to do this because it's too painful. And therefore, I want to use machine. And I want to get better and better and cleverer at doing this. And by the way, in all of that, I want to win in the marketplace. So it's actually a lot about competitive advantage. It's about outcomes, customer satisfaction, growth, and working capital in this example and more cash. And when the AI gets brought in to bear onto a specific problem, we see the best answers emerge. When AI is coming into the company and it attempts to solve the whole company and let's deal with AI in the company, it's a much, much different journey and often people get disappointed. So the uh, so I guess it's is it because of the the hype around AI, that people tend to focus on AI as a kind of, um, I was going to say a magical solution, but let's say disconnected from what they're trying to do with their business. Is that what, what often happens? Uh, so Michael, I would, I would start by saying all of us are learning. Uh, AI has been around and, and various aspects of AI, whether it's computational linguistics or it's, you know, um, computer vision and using computer vision for intelligent decision making. I mean, a number of those technologies have been around for actually decades. Uh, what's changed is really the ability to leverage them with the speed that's available on networks, with the ability to process data 
and the fact that gigabytes and petabytes of data can be processed and the speed at which that can be done, all of that has made AI come alive and come alive in both the consumer space and we, we are all users of those through gadgets like the iPhone and other smartphones, as well as in the enterprise space. However, the actual use of those now are getting you know, into use cases that are beginning to come alive, but it's still early. So therefore, there's a lot of learning going on. Anytime you have learning going on, you have people exploring, you have people experimenting, you have people asking questions that need answers that they they may come to the conclusion after some time saying it was a wrong question to ask. So the question could be the board and the CEO and the CXO team saying, we want to use AI in the company. Let's just bring AI into the company. Well, after some time, they realize actually the better way to approach it is what we call artificial narrow intelligence, ANI, which is can we narrow down the problem to the most valuable one we want to solve and really attack it with AI. And let's, and that's often called artificial narrow intelligence. We find those to be highly successful. You know, it's it's a very it's a very set of it's an interesting set of points that make a lot of sense. But at the same time, in a way, if you go to your clients and, and say this, is there a little bit of a of a letdown because they want to do all of this stuff with AI, and you're saying, well. Where is, you know, is this going to solve specific problems or efficiencies in your company? And it kind of makes it lose the shiny new object aspect of it. <laughs> so, Michael, you're, you're right. Typically, that's what one sees in the world of technology when it's going through, you know, what is called a hype cycle. And clearly, AI is on that cycle. Um but here is where I think it does tend to ultimately uh, resonate with clients. As long as we pick big enough problems that are either big enough pain, uh, pain points for our clients or value for them competitively or big enough opportunities that they want to grab onto that can differentiate them. And as long as that value can be brought alive and it can be seen, and if the cycle time to make it happen is short enough, if the cost of that experimentation is not high, and if at the end of that experiment, you can actually say this has worked, let's scale it up, or it's not worked, let's pull the plug and get on to the next problem. I think people start really, one, agreeing that that's a great approach, uh, gravitating to that approach, and actually beginning to see value. Um, I think there are enough examples now beginning to build up in the enterprise space and in different industries and in different solutions that are beginning to resonate. And as those get known in various industries, and obviously people like us allow that propagation of knowledge to go through, uh, I think people are beginning to understand this. But you're right. I mean, they still wonder, why can't I bring it in uh, all together into many places and solve world hunger? So there's, so there's this practical aspect of AI. So how do we make our accounts payable more efficient? How do we make our customer service more efficient? Which is crucially important from a business standpoint, but there's also the in innovation dimension of this looking forward. And you're suggesting start with maybe smaller, smaller projects to explore that. So Michael, no, I'm not suggesting that actually. Um, clearly that is an option, uh, but I'm not suggesting that. Uh, our, our view, 
and our belief and my belief is that when AI gets applied to the most crying problem, the biggest opportunity um, is where the value is the highest. Uh, you typically try and do that with a proof of concept. So you, so the problem is big, the opportunity is big, and if solved for, could be a huge benefit, not a small benefit. And you say, let's test this in a small part of that problem. So create a proof of concept, and that can be done. Uh, it's not that difficult, and, and it's worth doing it because these are short experiments. When that works, then you then say, now nah, I'm going to scale it in that still same problem. And that's a big solution. Uh, so, so, let, so let me give you one example. Uh, so think about uh, in a banking environment, in let's say the small business lending world, uh, every bank and every financial institution, uh, before it decides to approve uh, a lending, uh, decides that based on re reading financial statements of the business they are lending to and understanding it, doing cash flows, etc. That's a pretty significant expert process driven by knowledge of understanding financial statements and then applying them to risk policies, etc. that the bank may have. Uh, those financial statements, unfortunately, uh, given the nature of small and medium businesses, come in variety of forms, have variety of ways some of those get uh, laid out. Uh, so depreciation gets calculated different ways by different small businesses. Cash flow gets calculated differently. People lay out their financials differently. And then there are footnotes. And then there are caveats. And all of that is in a balance sheet and PL document. Today, an expert opens that document, lays the financials out, then says, I understand the cash flow of this company. By the way, this is the way we define it in the bank. Our risk policies are the following, and therefore I'm going to approve this customer for a half a million dollars to buy the equipment they want to buy. You can now say, why don't we bring in AI that takes all this data, ingests it, reads all the information, understands words, understands the meaning of depreciation in the context of the way this company has laid it out, then reads the footnotes and says, oh, the footnote says this, so let's change the definition of depreciation that this company is using to actually match the way we think it should be defined. And then spits out that financial statement, which otherwise an expert would have to write, and then compares that to the risk parameters and then says, this is the amount that you should lend. That whole thing now gets done by the expert artificial intelligence-based product. Uh, in fact, we often have a discussion around a product like that. We call that live spread uh, in, a, in a process called live credit. And by definition, the use of the word live basically may, means that what used to be a four or five day process of underwriting to take a decision could now be a 30 minute process. So all of a sudden you're not talking about efficiency. You're talking about winning in the marketplace because that bank that does this will win more, will get more lending out, will have a bigger book of lending out. And by the way, we'll actually get the best customers. So actually longer term we'll build a larger book that actually has a better quality than someone else. So you're talking about innovation that is focused yeah. on improving the business as opposed to just, oh, well, let's adopt AI on, on vague terms. Yes, 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 Michael. And, uh, and obviously this becomes a debate often in the C-suite, uh, where should we apply it first? It becomes a debate in our kind of a business with the client back and forth. 
Um, obviously, the more experience either us or other people who do this have, uh, they can bring those to life. Um, the advantage of things like AI and other digital technologies is that once you do it twice, you do it three times, you do it, you can actually then repeat it more easily and more often and at a better speed. And obviously, by definition, AI, so it learns and gets better and better. Um, and typically, if you apply it to a problem in an industry that I just described as an example, and four people use it, 20 other people jump in. Actually, the four who originally started using it get the benefit of the fact that now 20 people have jumped in. So one of the core benefits of AI longer term, not today, but longer term is going to happen, is a network effect. Uh, similar to other technologies that have had huge benefits to everyone in the industry because of network effects. We think AI is going to bring network effect benefits that far exceed anything that we've even seen today. I want to remind everybody that we're speaking with Tiger Tiagarajan, who is the CEO of Genpact. And right now there's a tweet chat going on using the hashtag CXOTalk. And you can jump in and add your comments and also ask questions for Tiger. Tiger, you acquired an AI company. Maybe tell us about that, please. Yes, uh, Michael, we acquired a company called Rage Frameworks, um, uh, a company that has an AI-based platform. Um, and the way to think about that company is it's in one of the AI spaces. There are a couple of more spaces that one could talk about in the, in the, in the context of AI. The space that Rage Frameworks and the company we bought based out of Boston uh, straddles is what we call using computational linguistics. And in, in very simple terms, um, what the platform does and what the company does and what they've built over you know eight, nine years is the ability to ingest and read information. The information could be in the form of documents. Let's talk about 500 page contracts or it could be in the form of a set of emails uh, where there's a conversation about that 500-page contract. It could be in the form of uh, you know, transcripts of customer service conversations. Actually, it could be in the form of actual customer service conversations that are being recorded. Uh, that then uh, all of that can be ingested by the platform uh, and converted into specific language-based understanding of the 500-page contract with the emails, with the text conversion from the voice calls that then gets ingested. And all of that put together becomes the basis of then saying, here's exactly what the contract is saying. Here's what the customer is saying about the invoice they sent you against that contract uh, or, or they received against that contract. And here are the two problems that that invoice has that a human being would have taken forever to discover. Um, and maybe the human being would never have discovered it because it's too expensive to apply a human being to discover that and would have taken too long. The credit underwriting decision example that I just gave, again, is another Rage Frameworks product built on that same platform that is offered to banks and so on. The contract discussion that I just teed up is something that could apply to a range of industries. So that's a company we acquired and it's our way of bringing AI and uh, into our services that we offer our clients to help really disruptively solve for their competitive advantage in their marketplace. We have a, an interesting question from Twitter from Arsalan Khan, 
who makes the point that combining AI with enterprise architecture for customer satisfaction and optimizing business processes is key. But he says there's so much jargon to overcome. So how do you do that, combine AI with enterprise architecture? That seems like a really interesting question to me. It, it, is, a, it is a great question. Um, and part of the problem that we are all grappling with, Michael, is jargon uh, that we all use, that our clients use, that our clients actually have to grapple with often, that the industry uses. And part of the nature of business conversations is to de-jargonize that and make it real. And the best way we find often to make it real is to actually convert them into real examples that come alive. So to answer the question, uh, let's go back to the example about underwriting that, that we just used. Uh, that live spread uh, tool, AI-based, that actually helps that underwriting decision is the AI-based tool. And, and the point that is being made is that alone does not drive as much value as if you then combine it with a workflow that allows that tool to be embedded in that workflow that receives the application that the customer that I described is making for a, a loan um, that then pushes it out ultimately to an underwriter because remember, the machine is able to, let's say, take a decision only in 80% of the cases. In 20% of the cases, the machine says, I don't know about the decision that I'm trying to recommend. Here is a recommendation, but I really want an expert to look at it. That has to then land up at the desk of an expert, which means it has to go through a workflow that lands up there. The expert then takes the decision, and if that decision is not fed back to the AI uh, platform, then actually you're missing the final closing of the loop on the feedback so that the machine continues to learn. Again, you need that dynamic workflow, typically cloud-based, that has to feed that back into the tool. All of that ultimately you want to capture as long-term data in an enterprise architecture that then can do long-term analysis of how these things perform over the long term, because this could be a seven-year lease on that equipment. So I think the point that, and, 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 but here's the advantage of today's technologies. They allow for APIs to be built that trade information with each other as well as, well as with enterprise architectures. Um, those APIs are often open architecture. Uh, if you modularly build these, uh, whether it's dynamic workflow, it's the uh, AI that I talked about, it's let's say presenting these using using great visualization tools that are available in the marketplace, again, cloud-based, and presenting them to people to take a decision. If all of those are orchestrated in modular fashion that connect back to each other through APIs that connect to enterprise architecture, and by the way, that is capable of being changed as technology evolves. So let's say there's a better AI mousetrap that gets built two years later. You can dismantle this one and plug back a new one. And if that can be done easily, which actually can be done because again, it's API and open architecture, then you have a truly enterprise ready, industrialized, capable of being rolled out, scaled, with all the investments you've done being protected for future, because you really don't want to keep investing and saying, oh, two years later, technology has changed, I'm going to reinvest. That's a bad decision. So, so let's say that a company is looking, has a digital transformation effort underway, 
and they're looking at their business model. So it's not just about optimizing efficiency or, or making small incremental innovation improvements. Is there a role for AI in this or does AI at that point just become a distraction or a red herring? There is an incredible role uh, for AI in actually creating and standing up new business models. I mean, to call them innovative business models in often is an understatement because they completely disrupt the space that they could be stood up in. And most often, these highly disruptive, innovative new business models have as one of its core using new technologies like AI. Um, let me give you one uh, interesting example. So let, let's pivot this to a different industry. Let's take insurance. And let's go back to the conversation around insurance claims. And let's take one that is very personal to all of us. We all uh, are obviously big users of automobiles in this country. Uh, and we all have uh, love our cars. And uh, we obviously have to make sure they are well insured. Um, every once in a while, we have an insurance claim that we have to file. The good way of doing that in these days uh, that a lot of companies do very well. I have a minor accident. Let's call it a minor accident. I stop on the highway. I make my 1-800 call. I then get instructions to what I'm going to do. Wait there. Pickup truck comes in. Someone then says, we'll get back to you with a assessment of what this is going to cost you. We'll also then make sure that the insurance company knows what this is going to cost you. And then there's a whole process that kicks in in terms of coming back with, I think the insurance company is going to foot $800 for this damage from your insurance claim. That whole process takes time, takes effort, takes multiple follow-ups, is not a great customer service in spite of great efforts by most insurance companies. And, and there's angst in the whole process. You can have a new business model that I think many insurance companies are trying and we are in the middle of experimenting this with some of them, where same accident, you open up your smartphone, you press the app, you open up the app, and then you just press the fact that I've had an accident. Automatically, uh, it, it triggers someone, let's call it an Uber driver, who lands up at your spot in about five to seven minutes, uh, takes out his or her iPhone, and starts clicking photographs of everything that he or she can see at that moment in that car, inside, outside. And there's a set of instructions that that Uber driver has to do what he or she has to do. Uh, instantaneously, as those photographs are being taken, it lands up in some expert person sitting in Boston who actually looks at it. And actually, before it lands up there, it lands up in an AI tool that, that looks at those images, applies computer vision based on more than 10 million images that it already has, and says, based on the machine's assessment, this is the kind of damage this is, this is the kind of repair cost that would be, uh, that would be applicable, therefore this insurance claim should be paid to the extent of $747. In some cases, 20%, 30% of the cases, it kicks off to an expert, the expert then takes a decision. Almost in 15 minutes, the message comes back on the same smartphone telling the customer that your insurance claims is approved, $747, go get your stuff repaired, and that's it. 
Think about the customer satisfaction. Think about the retention of that customer. Uh, next car that the customer buys, it's the same insurance company. Think about the value to the insurance company. I mean, you can go on and on. That is a disruptive business model. Any insurance company that finds a way to grapple with this, solves it, is going to disrupt the industry. It's going to change the way that industry works. So at this point, what you're describing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is from a business model standpoint, it's the, the AI is technology that enables the company to do things that it couldn't otherwise do. And that becomes the platform or the jumping off point for the business model. But it's, so, but it's not the technology in itself, it's the technology in the context, okay, how are we now gonna use it to solve a particular problem? Which gets back to what you were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation. So Michael, I couldn't have described it better than you just did. It is exactly uh, the way you described it. And the way we think about it is AI is amazing. However, it really becomes amazing only if two other conditions are satisfied. Uh, condition number one, you must apply AI to the context of the business and the problem, and you must immerse it in the domain of that problem, in the domain of the industry. In that example that I described, do you really know what happens when an accident like this that I just described happens on an interstate highway in the state of Michigan and the car is, let's call it a Honda Accord, and here's what happens to a typical Honda Accord in the state of Michigan in that kind of an interstate highway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if it happens at 12 noon, here's what to expect, et cetera. Here's what it means when an Uber driver lands up and here's how customers react. So in all of that, it's do you really understand the insurance business? Do you really understand auto insurance in the US, in Michigan? Do you really understand how a customer interacts during a filing of an auto claim? Do you understand how frauds happen in the claims process in auto claims? Because frauds do happen. So it's really depth of domain makes a real difference. And the second thing that makes a difference is, do you have enough data? Do you have enough data of past claims? Do you have enough data of all the images and photographs that have been taken in the past? Do you have enough data to actually create the intelligence that actually can be used? So without the context of the domain and applying it with data that has to be applied to that AI, AI doesn't come alive and doesn't create value. So we are big believers in AI plus domain plus data is true value. AI without domain and data is actually no value. All right, so that then begs the question, let's say a company has identified business, the kind of uh, business problem that makes sense. They've looked at a big problem inside their organization as you described earlier. Now they're doing proofs of concept. How do they go, how do they, how do they ensure that they're, that they're going down the right path that they have the domain knowledge, that they have the that they've chosen the right domain, and that they have access to the data. How do they do this? This is seems to me to be a very complicated set of interrelated problems or challenges. No, so again, again, Michael, you hit the nail on the head. It is complicated. It is interrelated, and it does take time to solve all of these in a fully industrialized. It's now fully running way. That's one could call that the bad news, uh, because it's big and it, it, it's hairy and it's complex. The good news is that you can actually break it down into its pieces and its components. 
you can um, hone it down to can we start with a proof of concept and in that proof of concept can we actually test this quickly um, and by the way uh, I'm okay if I don't get the full value on day one that's the good news the second good news is that the value is so big when it's fully done that it's worth it which is why it's important to pick the problem right so pick a big problem that's worth it hone it down to a proof of concept that you can experiment and then be prepared to iterate your way through a series of experiments so then it's okay not to solve all the problems that you described on day one you can solve parts of the problem uh, knowing fully well that you might get only 20 percent 30 percent uh, of the decisions that are actually taken right by the AI uh, technology. Uh, but that's 20, 30% versus zero. And then as you improve all the things you described, it moves on and on and on. And you know, in its 10th iteration, it's already got to 85%. The second problem that you're going to deal with is, 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 is making sure that people buy into the fact that they're gonna go through a series of experiments. And then finally, there's a third problem as you get through the series of experiments and let's say it's successful and you want to scale up. And this is where I think AI could fail within its application into solutions and in an enterprise. And, and by the way, this applies to almost all digital technologies. One of the failure points could be, and we've seen this in a few cases, where when you scale up, you need a governance layer that watches all of these technologies. So here's the way to describe it. If you have a thousand people whose job it is to do things and they follow a certain set of procedures to do whatever they have to do, you normally have managers and then you have people who manage the managers and you have a hierarchy. You have leaders who watch everything. There are measurements and metrics that people watch. And if some of those are not going well, then you say, time out. Can, can we all get together? We discuss the problem. We maybe retrain people. We make people understand what mistakes they are making. And then we say, okay, go back and continue what you're doing because you just learned a better way to do it. I just taught you that. And that works. Unfortunately, it takes time. It's human. It's, it's, it's effort, etc. But it works. Now convert that into now you have instead of a thousand people, you have some people who are real experts, but you also have robots and you have machines and you have AI bots and tools. Fantastic. Something changes in the business. You have a new compliance policy. You have a new procedure. You have a new risk-based tool that you want implemented and you've changed something this morning. If someone doesn't bring all the robots kind of back and then go back into those robots and the tools and change things, if someone doesn't watch all of that and govern all of that, you could have AI gone wild. You could have robots gone wild. And that's not very good. Um, in fact, that's pretty dangerous. So, so I would say one of the uh, dangers of the path that AI and digital technologies could take is an assumption that it doesn't require governance. It doesn't require to be watched. It's all well coded and done and it'll work forever. The fact is business models change, policies change, regulations change, lots of change, change, change. And all of that has to be uh, means that you got to keep watching all the technologies that you've laid out and that requires a governance layer that requires um, almost a platform to watch all of that and then when something changes you go in and make the changes that are needed we think that's very very important and and a lot of our journeys are around that topic wow we're covering a lot of ground here and uh, we only have 
less than 10 minutes left. And there's a bunch of things that I think that we still need to talk about that are important. And so let's shift gears for a moment. I, I feel like we shouldn't shift gears because we could go on this, this topic you were just describing really matters, really matters a lot. But let's talk about the workforce implications, because there's a lot of fear around AI. And so maybe, uh, please, uh, Tiger, share your thoughts on that. So Michael, I think the fears are, are valid, real, and, uh, and I think we should all think hard, debate, uh, and that applies to enterprises, that applies to leaders in enterprises, that applies to governments, institutions, uh, academia, uh, scientists, research, etc. It's very, it's a very important topic. Uh, it's an important topic every time there is a significant shift driven by new technology. So, so I think it's it's an important and it's concerning and it's a valid concern. But I'm going to start by saying we must have true optimism in the way technologies have worked long term in the world, and we've had hundreds of years of new technologies coming in. The agricultural to the industrial revolution. Um, there was a time when this country had, what is it, 40, 45% of its labor force in agriculture. Today it's, what is it, one or 2%. And that's been a transition. Um, that transition meant a number of people transitioning into manufacturing and then subsequently into services, etc. Was that transition painful? It was. But did we manage that transition and ultimately actually did the overall economy and people and quality of life improve? Yes, it did. And how did that happen? A lot of new jobs got created. A lot of new work got created. A lot of that people didn't even know what those would be as that journey started. So the fundamental optimism that I think is needed, particularly from people who are in leadership positions in academia and governments, etc., is that new work will get created as these new technologies come in and overall well-being of humankind will improve. But here's the other problem that we must grapple with. Those changes took time to ripple through and therefore that time allowed that adjustment and transition to happen probably better than this transition may allow. This may be a faster transition and when you have fast transitions of skills and workforce that are needed, you have the same generation that has to transition into the new workforce. When you have a next generation transitioning into new workforce and new skills, that's an easier problem than the same generation transitioning. So you're really talking about how do you find ways to reskill people? How do people actually get motivated to reskill themselves? Where is the uh, participation from the government, from universities, from community colleges, from enterprises, from corporations, from companies such as ourselves? to allow people to train themselves more and reskill themselves to provide the programs, to provide the time and the investment dollars. And I think we all have to grapple with it and do it. The reason for the final statement I'll make, the reason for optimism around something like AI and the fact that we don't even know what it's going to create is the following. One of the ways to think about AI is that AI is going to make prediction become so, so inexpensive that it'll do two things. Any job today that requires some element of prediction, prediction that this customer is going to be a good customer, so therefore we must lend this customer half a million dollars. That is a prediction based on financial analysis, etc. AI makes the cost of prediction lower and lower and lower, almost to zero. 
But there are a million things today that we wish we could use prediction, but we don't because it's just too expensive. All of a sudden, cost of prediction is going to be so small that we're going to use prediction in almost everything we do, everything mankind does. And AI will be used for that. That will require a lot of people to actually do what I just described, capture data, build domain, and and all of that will improve all our life. Because think about being able to predict lots of things, whether it's health, the impact of disease, drugs, genetic. I mean, I mean, the, the whole world is there. So that's the optimism. There is a reskilling problem that we all have to deal with. So we have literally about three minutes left, and there's two questions still that I that I just have to ask you. Uh, one is from me, and one's coming from Twitter. So if you can answer each of these, and you know. A minute and good luck. Good luck with that. But let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Number one is as you were describing your optimism, but the problem is that doesn't help. The rising tide lift all. The rising tide of technology lifts all boats. Yes, over time, but that doesn't help the person in the Midwest that is feeling the effects of globalization and he or she can't find a job. And so that's the problem with the rising tide theory, even though I, and optimism, that's why I agree. Any thought on that? And that's a, in 30 seconds. <laughs> no, so that, that is the problem. That is the problem. And what I, I was talking about optimism in the long run, uh, a real problem that you just described in the, in the short run and the medium run. And the final statement I'll make is we all have to deal with it. And I don't think collectively we are spending enough time on it. The fact that technology is the disruptor, nothing else is the disruptor. Technology is a disruptor that we have to solve for in the population that is going to get disrupted. Irrespective of all optimism, they are going to undergo disruption. We must solve for that. We must solve for it through reskilling programs. It is this fundamental problem that the world has to deal with. It is, it is the fundamental, one of the key fundamental ethical issues around AI. Yes. And then we have, uh, last but not least, and I'll ask you to answer this very quickly, a question uh, from Twitter. Gus Beckdash is asking, what insights do you have on integrating analytics and AI? So more uh, practical question and very quickly, please. No, it, it, is, it, is, it is actually, I mean, by definition, AI is completely integrated analytics with the process that you're trying to solve for with the answer that you want, with the outcomes that you're trying to predict. Uh, and I said AI is all about using data and domain to predict, and it is predicting it real time. So the best way to think about AI is that it's real time predicting what is the right answer to take every moment, at every second. I think the best one of the best examples of that is Waze, where at every step of the way it's saying, take this because this is better traffic. No, 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 take the left turn because that is better traffic. Okay. We are unfortunately out of time. This has been a very, very fast 45 minutes. Uh, Tiger Tiaga Rajan, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, really enjoyed it. We have been speaking with Tiger Tiaga Rajan, who is the CEO of Genpact, which is an almost $3 billion professional services firm in technology. You've been watching episode number 246 of CXO Talk. And next Friday, 
We're speaking with the Chief Data and Cognitive Officer at Royal Caribbean Cruises. So that's going to be a really interesting one as well. So please join us. Thanks, everybody. And have a great weekend. Bye-bye.